this morning. This is a communion Sunday. It's always uh, the first Sunday, first Wednesday of the month. Uh, we receive communion together. We've got stations around the uh, sanctuary here. And as we close the service today, we'll give you that opportunity to come up and to receive communion yourself today and uh, take that back and enjoy just a, a moment with the Lord as you're worshiping him, praising him and thanking him for his body that was broken for you and his blood that was shed on Calvary's cross, the proof that our sins are forgiven. And we always love to be able to take moments like this and just reflect back. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember and we do, we want to remember the Lord uh, and his faithfulness, his goodness in our lives today. And so if you've never received communion, uh, this is a great day to participate in it. If you're here and you have yet to receive Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, uh, I can't think of a better day uh, to do so and to be able to celebrate as you take that cup and to, to thank him and praise him for loving you and going to the cross and dying for you that you could have eternal life in him. And that proof in, that, in his blood as we receive that as you ingest that into your body, you're reminded of a great truth that uh, Jesus made to us. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And that you could leave here today with that, that peace in your heart to know that wherever you go, God is with you. He's not just with you, but he's in you. And uh, you're a part of him and he's a part of you. And that's really, for me, it's the greatest joy that we get in receiving communion is that reminder that uh, he is with us always through the highs, through the lows, through the thick, through the thin, that God is there. Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, look here in the book of Philippians. We're in week two of a series here called Joy-Filled Living. And uh, we find ourselves in verses one, or excuse me, verses 12. We'll read through verse 21 um, here this morning. And I titled this uh, Perspective, and Perspective Changes everything. And the reason that's so important when you think about this is to understand what the Apostle Paul uh, was going through in his life. And we'll look at that here today because, again, when you have, uh, you know, uh, well, let me put it this way. Have you ever met somebody that when you first met them, you didn't like them? Raise your hand. It's okay. It's, we're Christians. You can still. And then, but then after you got to know them, you began to like them. Your perspective, you would say, changed. I hope the same people are raising their hand that you don't just go, nope, didn't change. I still don't like them. No. But uh, in, in all of our lives, we've had perspective that, that has changed. I, I'm always reminded of, of a story, and it was a true story years ago about a man who was on an airplane flight uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast. And he had two young boys and they were under the age of five. And during the, the middle of the flight, the, the boys were just running down the aisle. Uh, this was back when there was just one center aisle in the plane. And the, the boys were just, I mean, they were just out of their seat. Uh, they were going both directions. They would come up to people. They, you know, one person was reading a newspaper and one of the little boys just hit the newspaper from behind and kept irritating, you know, the, the gentleman who was reading. There was a woman who was eating something and one of the, the boys uh, knocked her elbow as he went by in a cramped row and it hit her and she spilled, you know, her food. And, and there was just people watching this and they were just thinking to themselves, you know, this dad is like, you know, what kind of father is this? And so finally, you know, one uh, woman just got so fed up that she got up out of her seat and she went down to this father and she said, sir, she said, you know, I mean, how, how rude can you possibly be? How disrespectful can you be on this flight? Do you, do you see how unruly your boys are? 
And he was just like in a fog and he was looking at her and she just kept going and she just unloaded on him. She said, did you see what the, that one did to that person and your other one did to this? I mean, my gosh, I mean, what kind of kids are you raising here? And he finally just looked at her and he said, ma'am, he said, I, I am so sorry. He said, we're just, I, I've been up for 72 hours. He said, uh, I just, uh, I just lost my wife. She just died. We were just at the hospital. He goes, we were, I, I don't even know what to think. I, I don't even know what to do with my life. I'm just in a fog. I'm in a daze. All I can ask is, can you forgive me? And in that moment, how do you think that that woman felt? Do you think that her perspective might have changed? Yeah, I, I believe. And I, I believe about all of us that, you know, we have really skewed perspective about things in life. You know, that you'll read statements that says, you know, be kinder than necessary for everybody you know is fighting an uphill battle, that everybody's in some kind of battle. I talk to you all the time about, you know, as a church that we're, we're either in a crisis or we're coming out of a crisis or God's preparing us to go into a crisis. It's just, this isn't heaven. This, this is the life uh, here on earth. And so as you read this today, it's good to know the perspective that Paul has in this, because again, we're talking about a book, when I talk about joy-filled living, if you recall, um, last week, I mean, this, the theme of the book of Philippians, it's one of my, if not my favorite book in the New Testament, and, and it's about joy, and it's about joy that is irregardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in in this life, that you can have joy, and it's a book that should minister and speak to all of us. So we'll pick it up in verse 12, and then we'll pray says this, uh, Paul speaking, he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that is nothing, I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we study it today, that, Lord, it would transform us, Lord, that it would change us, that it would change our perspective on the way that we see the circumstances of our own life, that, Lord, this is a, a wonderful day to be reminded in communion that you're with us and that you're in us. And, Lord, you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. And so that, Lord, we have to recognize afresh today that you're in everything that, Lord, we go through that you're right there with us. You completely understand. You're mindful, as your word declares, of all of our ways. And Lord, we thank you for that today. And we pray that, Lord, that knowledge, Lord, would bring us comfort, would bring us peace. And like the Apostle Paul, it bring us joy for your glory, Lord, and for our good. As we read these things, we pray 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's Paul, you know, the prisoner we call him, the prisoner of joy. He writes uh, the book of Philippians from a Roman uh, prison cell. And I shared with you, you know, last week, there's four chapters, 104 verses, and and the words, you know, joy or rejoice appear some 19 times here. I think last week I said 59 times. I was looking at my notes. I go, where did I get 59 times? That's when you hit a keystroke and you go. But anyway, I, there's probably 59 times throughout all the uh, uh, prison epistles where he uses that, but 19 times here in the book of Philippians. And I was sharing with you, there's a difference between happiness and joy. And I love the questions that came from some this week, you know, just as a reminder, you know, happiness is a, it's a temporary, and I put this in bold print in my notes, happiness is a temporary feeling of delight if the circumstances are right. You might write that down. Happiness is a temporary feeling of delight if the circumstances are right. And yet joy is something that is fixed. And so there's a big difference between the two. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, the Bible mentions happiness more than 30 times, and yet it mentions joy over 300 times. And there's a difference between the two. So it's important to make a distinction between them. You know, happiness, you know, we say is externally triggered. It's from the outside in. You know, you might get a raise at work if you get that. I mean, you get happy for a moment, right? So you hear somebody got paid more. Uh, somebody says something nice about you. And then, you know, they pay you a compliment that makes you happy. Or, you know, if your favorite sport team wins or your favorite politician, you know, an election year, whatever it is, you know, it makes you happy for what, you know, a while. You get a new car, you buy a new house. It makes you really happy until what? Until the bill comes. Yeah. And then we're not happy, you know. So happiness goes up and happiness goes down. And, and I'm sure that the Apostle Paul, you know, dealt with happiness. I don't think he was happy about being in prison. I don't think he was happy about being beaten the way that he was and all the things that occurred in his life. And so there's a difference between happiness and joy because joy is deeper. It's internally triggered. And really, as I shared with you last week, you know, joy is dependent upon Jesus. Now that can sound, you know, like, oh, that's just, you know, like, spiritual, you know, so what does it mean to mean that your joy is in Jesus? And it's a great question. I had somebody ask me that this past week. It's to know that you're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's to know that your sins are forgiven. It's to know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that Jesus wrote it there. You know, you didn't write it there. He wrote it there. Joy is in the knowledge of knowing that you are, as Paul would say, you're a pilgrim, as we've studied in, in Peter, and you're just pressing on that this is not your home, that heaven is your home. Now you go, now why does that bring me joy? And you go, because those things don't have anything to do with what you did. They have everything to do with what God did. They're centered in Jesus. They're founded in Jesus. They're not going to change. Happiness changes all the time. It changes moment by moment. But the things of God they don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They're not circumstantial. You know, it's not based on, like I said, our feelings. It's based upon the fact that when he hung on that cross, Jesus' last words are what? It is what? Finished. It's done. It's taken care of. So happiness has its source in, in events and people and things. Joy has its source in Jesus. And that, that's what Paul understood. That was the perspective that he developed in his life. Now, it wasn't always that way, because remember, he was also known as Saul of Tarsus, and he breathed threats against the body of Christ. I mean, there was, if anything, I mean, this guy, 
Uh, he wanted nothing more than for Christians to die for their faith. So how did this guy go through a transformation? And, and what we understand is that transformation took place because of what? The gospel, the power in the word of God. The very thing that we read and we go over and we go over and we go over because, again, as Paul would write, being not conformed to the world, but what? Being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That Paul understood, how did he go from a man that was so filled with hate, or John, a son of thunder, to the apostle of love? It was the power of the word of God. It wasn't psychology. It wasn't sociology. It wasn't how much money he had or what he didn't have or anything in life. It was a personal relationship with God that came from the knowledge of God's word. And that's why he said, do everything to do it. Measure it against the word of God. Study the Bible to show yourself not ashamed as someone who's approved of God. You go, why? You go, because that's how you're going to come to know and understand truth. That truth that, you know, we remind you constantly, the truth that you'll know and the truth that'll do what? It'll set you free. That's what God desires for us today. Paul basically is saying, you know, there, there's no, no circumstance that can steal my joy because my joy isn't in my circumstance. My joy is in Jesus. And man, if we could just understand that, because there's so many of us today in the body of Christ who really our joy is like this because it, we, our joy is circumstantial. It's not rooted in Christ. It's not rooted in a truth that is not going to change. And so we need to change our perspective. Look there in verse 12, it says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So the only way that you and I can really appreciate Paul's perspective on this is to understand what were the things that happened to him. And that's, it's so amazing when you think about that there in verse 12. So if you go back, I mean, remember in Jerusalem, he's falsely accused, right? And, uh, and as he's falsely accused, he's taken into custody. He lets them know that he's a Roman citizen. So they ship him off to Caesarea Philippi over on the coast there. And he spends two years in prison there, right? He goes through these mistrials before Felix and Festus and King Agrippa there. And so Paul gets tired, <laughs> you know, uh, of this. And, and uh, he uh, demands to, to have his case uh, appealed to Caesar. And so they put him, you remember, in the book of Acts on a prison ship, right? It wasn't a cruise ship. They put him on a prison ship. And the prison ship does what? It, it wrecks. And he ends up having to swim to shore. And ultimately, he ends up in Rome. And he ends up back in a prison again for two more years. And here's where he's writing. He's looking back. He's reflecting on his life and his incarceration. And he says, all these things that happened to me in the past, because they're not going to steal my joy. This, in essence, what he's saying is because they've actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul was able to do something today, what you and I need to do. Usually when we go through something that's painful, something that hurts, what, what's the first question, if we're really honest, that we ask ourselves? We go, why me? Why me? If you want to change from, from being a, having a faith that's doing this up and down, you know, high and low, is you have to change your perspective. You have to move from saying to yourself, why me? And instead say, God, what is it that you have for me? That's what Paul did. 
Paul, Paul would never, he, you, you don't see him going, oh, why am I in prison? You know, why did I get beaten? Why are all these things happening to me? He's going, what is it, God, that you would have for me? Now, if you and I understood that, and we really believe that, and that becomes our perspective in life, then we can project that forward, can't we? Because you're going, God, I don't know. It was Corey Ten Boom who said this. She said, I don't know what tomorrow holds, or, but I know who holds tomorrow. And when you understand that and you really believe that, then you can project that forward because you know in advance that God is in it. If you really believe what we are going to do today when we receive communion, when Jesus said, as often as you do this, as you take this bread, you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. He said, do it and remember to me. What are we remembering? Is that he's with us, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. But we live like God has completely forsaken us. We act like he's forsaken us. Because our perspective is all what? It's me, 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 me. It's the culture in which we live. But when the transformation takes place and the perspective changes and our eyes are fixed on him and everything changes, and that's why the gospel is so powerful. I'm reminded, you know, that of an old Dale Carnegie saying that says, you know, and I think about the apostle Paul, it says, two men looked out from a prison window. One saw bars, the other saw stars. And that's what Paul did. He didn't see the bars. He saw the star. Now, were the bars there? Yes. Yes. My wife and I were just talking about this, you know, yesterday. Just there, there's people that, man, she, she was telling me about, you know, people. And she was just like, you, know, you can just tell just looking at them. I mean, even the, their countenance, their expression in life, it's like they're just mad all the time. And then you meet somebody, you know, that just has this glow about them, this joy. And, and then you hear their circumstances and you're going, Why? Of all the things, they're going through all this pain, all this hurt, all this sorrow, but they're not focused on that because they're not going, why? They're not, it's not, why me? It's like, God, what is it that you would have for me? They recognize that God is in it somehow, some way, and the end result, because they know they've cheated, they read the end of the book, and what does the end of the story tell us? We're going to be with him, right? There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. All these things are going to pass away, and behold, all things are going to become new. No matter what it is, so he's, for the believer, can we honestly say that? The best is yet to be. And that's what Paul understood. That's what he knew. And that's where his joy came from. And so again, Paul is looking to the stars. He's not just looking to the stars, but he's looking to the one who created the stars, we, we really can say. And again, I love that. That word furtherance there. You know, some of your translations, it might read advancement or advance or spread or progress, and those are all good. But the Greek word there, uh, progie, it means to advance or to make progress, but there's an addition to that. There's something more. It's not just to advance or to make progress. It means to make progress or to advance in spite of obstacles, kind of like a snowplow. You know, what does a snowplow do when it hits an obstacle? You know, it backs up and does what? Goes around it, right? It doesn't, it doesn't plow over it. You know, it could be your car there, thank God. You know, it backs up and it, and it goes and it, it's the path in a sense of, of least resistance. But what I love about this word, and it's the beauty of the Greek language, and it's, it's really important as you study the New Testament to, to look at the Greek words because there's, there's richness to it and it'll help you comprehend it better. So when it's talking about this advancement, it's talking about, in spite of the obstacles. See, you're growing today. I'm growing today in spite of the obstacles. You're making progress. You ever heard the expression, three steps forward, two steps back, one step ahead? 
I, I write that a lot to people. When people are they're stressed and they're just going, you know, Pastor Mike, it just seems like I, you know, I was going this way and then this happened. I go, hey, just remember, it's three steps forward, two steps back, one step ahead. We're still winning, right? But we focus on what? The two steps back. Oh, I lost two steps. You go, yeah, but you're still one step ahead. What is it? It's perspe perspective. How are you seeing it? What are you looking at? Are you seeing God in this? Do you see him working? Because that's what he wants us to do. That's what Paul did. Remember, he's writing this from a prison cell, and he's talking about joy, a joy that nobody can take from him. Most people, when they're in prison, and we know this, because all you have to do is you can go online, and you can look up prison statistics and everything else, that the, the suicide rate in prisons is through the roof. People are, they're isolated. They're alone. Paul was isolated. We, we, now, when he was in Philippi, it wasn't so bad. When he gets into, into Rome, it's, it's worse. I mean, he goes down into the deep, you know, before uh, he ends up being beheaded. And, and yet the whole time, no one's robbing him of his joy because his joy is firmly rooted in Jesus. And again, we can all do that. We can all, as we grow and we become firmly rooted in Jesus, man, nobody can take that joy. But there's always going to be an obstacle in the way. There's always going to be something that, you know, is seeking to hinder us. And so Paul wants them to know, he wants you and I to know, that all the things that happened to him happened actually for, he talks about for the progress or the advancement of the Bible. So he's going, you know, all the incarcerations, all the beatings I took, all the mistrials that I went, they were for what? Well, think about this. In the Greek word, what was taking place, it was kind of like if someone was part of the 49ers and they came out, you know, in the gold rush. There was no roads out here in California. So what did they do? Well, those that came first cleared a path. They made a way. When we think about, you know, what Paul is, is really talking about here, when he talks about the word furtherance there, like I said, in the Greek language, it, it's really soldiers that would go before the army and they would clear a path so that the army could come through. And Paul sees himself as a good soldier, right? And so how is he seeing it? Well, part of what he's going through is advancing the gospel to make it possible or even easier for other people to come behind him and to share the gospel. He's saying, I get it. And, and sometimes that's how it is in our life. Hopefully, you know, as parents, we go that, you know, a, a, a good father, you know, it says leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I mean, you always want better for your children than you had for yourself. That's what a good parent would want. You go, I want it to be harder on them than it was for me. You go, no, that's not what you want if you love them. And Paul loves the church. God loves you. He loves me. He's made a way. That's what Jesus did. He made a way that we could come back to God through the cross. So you could say God specializes in turning obstacles into opportunities. Think about your life today. What's the obstacle that's in your way? What is the thing that you think is just hindering you, that's really just messing you up? And that might be the very thing that God is using to create the next opportunity in your life. Put in bold print in my notes, God turns our setbacks into setups for God to be glorified and for us to make a difference. God wants your life to count. You were born with a purpose. You were born for a reason. Your prison, you might say, is your pulpit. You know, what the enemy is meant for evil, God will turn for good if you allow him to do that. I mean, there's times and we're not going to see it and we're not going to understand. And that's why we can't keep asking the why, the why question. You know, Job did that. You can study the whole book of Job. And God doesn't answer the why because we don't understand the why. We couldn't because the, the, the why is always answered with what? 
eternity in mind. And all we see is what's right in front of us. We have little finite minds, the word little finite beings will never completely understand the infinite. And so we, we have to learn how to not ask so much the why, but go, what? What is it now in this moment? And that's exactly what Paul does. And, and his life is a great portrait of someone who's experiencing great joy because he's moving away from the why question to the what question. And when you do it, that's where you'll find your success. That's where you'll find your peace. That's where you'll find the joy. What does the Bible say? Does it say pray for you know, understanding? No, it says pray for what? Peace that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses understanding. Because you can know the answer to something that doesn't bring you peace, right? That just might make it worse if you knew all the things that were going on. So what do we really need is what God knows that we need. We need peace and that peace comes from him. We should be asking ourselves, God, what, what way, I want you to think about this, what way, God, do you want to use what I'm going through for your glory? What a difference that would make in our life. Instead of, God, why am I going through this? It's like, Lord, what is it that you want me to see? What is it that you want me to experience? Because he's there with you. What are you wanting to show me? What, 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 not why? And then to be able to say, God, I'll trust you with the why. I'll trust you because I'm not going to understand it. We think we do. And then time, you know, as we age and we look back and we go, oh, that's really not what God, God was doing at all. Yeah. Verse 13 goes on. It says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. So what he's going to start to answering, how was the gospel further? Not why, but now in the what? So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So you think about it, there, there's really three ways in the next couple of verses how the gospel was furthered. First was the Roman guard. He says, the whole palace guard, the, the praetorian there, that, that's the name for the, the guard. These were the elite. The, uh, these were the Navy SEALs. These were, you know, these were the elite of, of uh, the military there, the Roman Empire in Paul's day. These were the, the bodyguards, you know, to the emperor. This would be like the, you know, secret service, you know, whatever, you know, however you want to look at these guys. And there's like 10,000 of them. I mean, there, there's a lot. And think about Paul's life here, okay? So there's 24 hours in a day. So Paul has four of these guys throughout the court. Every six hours, there, there's somebody who's, who's shackled, chained to Paul. He is never alone. I mean, think about how humiliating this is. He can't even go to the bathroom without somebody going with him. And you think about, and here's Paul, but he's, but I count it all joy. It's, it, was, it was a joy for him. And you, and you understand why, you know, as you read through this thing. I mean, everything that he did, 24 hours a day. I mean, you think about what's taking place there. What do you think was going on? What is Paul saying? He's understanding the what, that his whole life was about what? The gospel. His whole life was, everything was about the gospel, was that people would hear the good news of God. Because why? Because that's what transformed his life. Remember, he was an enemy of the cross, right? He was on his way to Damascus to drag Christians 300 miles back to Jerusalem, okay, for preaching Jesus. He wanted them, he wanted them arrested. I mean, he was passionate about his hatred for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened? He had an encounter with God. We read that in the book of Acts, right? That's when we talk about somebody getting knocked off their high horse because that's what happened with Paul. He got knocked off his high horse. 
He was blinded, but he understood the voice of God. And Jesus asked him, he said, Saul, you know, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? Why, why are you persecuting me? And he says, is that, is, that, is that you, Lord? He recognized his voice. This is, it's a difficult thing, he said, for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a sharp shepherd's stick. What he's saying is it's, it's a difficult thing to kick against God's plan, his sovereignty, because God's going to accomplish his will, whether you like it or you don't like it. You can go kicking and screaming, or you can go along with joy. And what happened? Paul's life was changed. What changed Paul's life? The gospel. The gospel. That's why he would say in the book of Acts, I don't come to you with the persuasive words of men. I come in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, like we'll celebrate today, in me, in you. That he's with you, that he's in you. And everywhere you go, and he will fill you, he will inform you, he will tell you what to speak, what to share, and all that comes from his word. And Paul understood that power. How does God reach the unreachable? You know, if, if God was behind all this that Paul's going through, let me ask you a question. Was the apostle Paul chained to the guards or were the guards chained to the Apostle Paul? Got to ask yourself that question, huh? You imagine being one of those guards, being chained to Paul for six hours. What do you think they talked about? Sports, hobbies, interest, jail food, you know, type of material they made the, you know, the locks with. There's a way to pick them. You know, what was the fastest escape route? You know, no. It was the gospel. Everybody was hearing the gospel. And we think about our lives, you know, and the, this, the things, you know, and it'll prove itself out here, you know, as it goes along. I put in my notes, the test you endure today could be your testimony tomorrow. That's what it was for Paul. Your misery can become your ministry. That's what happened for Paul. Not only did he reach the whole palace guard, as it's saying, the, the special elitist, you know, but he also reached the Roman citizens as well because people were coming. Remember, I was sharing with you, the, the prison didn't feed you. They didn't take care of you. People took care of you. If you didn't have any family or friends, guess what? You were going to starve to death and die. So part of what this letter is to the church at Philippi, it's a thank you letter, right? He's thanking them. He's telling them how much he appreciated them that when he was in prison, that they came to him, that they, they provided, they sent money, to, they helped him to survive, that they ministered to his needs while he was there. And he wanted them to know that he thanked them. And it wasn't just one person. Many people would come. They, it was just like, you know, when in our women's ministry here at the church, we have a wonderful women's ministry that takes care of people when they let us know that there's a need. And they'll say, hey, um, and we, men's ministry does the same thing. It's not just women, but I mean, predominantly from our women's ministry, a woman's been in the hospital or she's had a baby, whatever the situation is, they'll call the church and say, hey, and the women will get together. And what do they do? They, they will take days and they'll provide food. And so you have different women that are going to that house and they're having fellowship. They're breaking bread. They're providing, you know, needs. Uh, men in the church are going over if there's things that need to be done in a home and, and uh, you know, all kinds of things. And you go, so there's just a whole bunch of people. And so Paul, his, the furtherance of the gospel wasn't just the, 
you know, the Praetorian Guard there, it was just Roman citizens as well. It was Jewish citizens. It was people that came to him and cared for him. We know from Acts, you know, 28 that he was under house arrest. So again, it doesn't mean that he, you know, wasn't imprisoned. He was still shackled to somebody, but he had a home that he was in and people could come to where he was at. But it's still, like I said, 24 seven, you know, it tells us this in Acts 28, the verse 30 and 31, it says, then Paul, it says he dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and he received, it says, all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. It says with all what? Confidence. No one forbidding him. And it was powerful because you think about this, you know, when, when someone gets arrested, especially if you think about the pastor of your church, you know, because Paul was the pastor of the church there, right? I mean, what happens when he goes to jail? It's not like, you know, everybody's, hey, you know, just want you to know our pastor, he's in prison, you know, that, that doesn't give people a lot of confidence, right? And, and they could be embarrassed about it. And so you know that those were things that were going through the hearts and the minds of those that, that had come to Paul's ministry there in the church in Philippi. All of a sudden it's like, you know, what, what are we going to do? And he's, and he's writing to encourage them. It's, hey, guys, it's not what you think. You need to change your perspective. You know, we think, oh, you know, well, they, they must have done something wrong. Well, we know that he didn't do anything wrong. It says that they, they proved it out, that he was innocent. The only thing that Paul was guilty of was loving Jesus and loving people in Jesus' name. Just like Jesus, that was all he was guilty of, of loving you and I. But Paul couldn't leave the house. I love this. He, you know, he couldn't leave the house, but people could come to him. I put in my notes, Paul couldn't go to work, so the work came to him. You know, it's been well said that Paul's longest incarceration was the greatest period of Paul's impact. Let me say that again. Paul's longest incarceration was the greatest period of Paul's impact. Why do we know that? What did he do while he was in prison? In that place, and you know, you think and you're, oh, I'm I'm in prison today. You know, this my job is a prison, you know, my marriage is a prison, you know, my circumstance in life, it's a prison. What did Paul do while he was in prison? He wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. We call them what? The prison epistles. And you think about some of the verses that minister to you more than any other verse. Where do those, where do those come from? Those prison epistles. Man. But man, what happens? Man, when we, we hit adversity, something comes up, and we're like, why? Why me? Why me, God? And we miss it. We miss the what? That God was in it the whole time. That he was working in the midst of all that. Verse 14 goes on. It says, and most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains. See here what he's, he's telling. It says, my incarceration has worked for the furtherance of the gospel. Look what's happened because it's created a confidence. He says, by my chains and much more boldness to speak without fear. Well, why? Well, because here's Paul. He's in prison. He's not shy. He's not bashful. He's maximizing the moment, you might say. I mean, he's, he's, he's telling people, hey, guess what? I am shackled. I think about this. There's 24 hours in a day. I, I get four new guys a day. They just rotate them through. And guess what? I'm just knocking them off like flies. I'm just leading them all to Jesus. You know? And he goes, the whole, the whole secret service now all loves Jesus. He goes, and they're all shackled to me. Who's the prisoner? You know? And you got to think the people are laughing. And he goes, and then you know, the people that come and they care for me, they feel sorry for me. So they come and visit me. And what do I do? I lead him to Jesus. 
I tell them about Jesus. I tell them about God's plan. They go, oh, Paul, I don't understand why. Because well, that's what people do, right? When we go, through, why? Why are you going through this? Why? You know, you know, misery loves company, right? So people are miserable. They come, why? Why? You know, and you can get sucked into that. And you just go, no, no. Change your perspective. Why not me? Why? Why not? And you go, no, no. The, the better question is, what does God want to do? What's God showing you? It's one of the great things about testimony, right? It's why we need to be in fellowship together to hear testimony. I was listening, Buddy was sharing with me his notes from his testimony yesterday. It was wonderful. Got this little bullet points for all this, you know, all these things. And you go, it's rich. And you, what, what does it do? Well, when you learn someone's testimony, it changes your perspective about them because you recognize that, you know what? God is doing something in that person's life. And again, look around, you know, the sanctuary. We come from all different walks of life. It doesn't matter, you know, your education, your background, how much money you make or don't make or anything else, where you live or anything else. We're connected because of Christ. And it's amazing. And it leads to a greater confidence because you start hearing, oh my gosh, man, look what Jesus is doing in you. Look what Jesus is doing in them. Well, and then you have this thought yourself, well, if Jesus could do that in them, because that's exactly what happened in Philippi. They're going, Maybe Jesus could do that in me too, right? That's exactly what's taking place. If God can use Paul in prison, guess what? God can certainly use me out here. And I think we should be thinking that today, right? We're not in prison for the gospel. We have, look at full well, we have the ability to go anywhere we want right now, barring COVID restrictions, and to share the gospel. You go, but are we being effective in doing that? And I, I shared with it with you, you know, from the onset, you know, we're going to look back, you know, not too many years from now, and we're going to go, God, did I just waste my life during COVID? Or did I take advantage of the circumstances in which I was in my prison? Like I said, you could be completely isolated, but they can't isolate you from sharing the gospel. They can't isolate you from reaching out to people. They can't, definitely cannot isolate you. Look at this, the power of prayer, praying. Paul recognized it. He knew prayer was powerful. We can all pray. We can pray all the time. You can pray at home. You can pray here. You can pray in your car. You can pray. All I just encourage you, if you're doing that in your car, just don't close your eyes. That, that's all. You know, there's nothing in Scripture that says you've got to close your eyes. Keep them open. Be alert. But what happened to the, what happened to the general population? Their perspective changed. They saw that Paul was still effective sharing the gospel, even from prison, right? There's a little poem. It was written by a 15-year-old boy on perspective. And he went like this. It might be up there in your notes. You might be able to read it with me. It says, God doesn't love me. You can't force me to believe God is good. This is the one truth in life. This world is a product of chance. How can I believe that God will use my life? I know with certainty that God has left me. Never again will I say that Christ is risen from the dead. I know now more than ever in my life that man can save himself. We must realize that it is ignorant to think that God answers prayers. Christians declare that without God, this world would fall into darkness. This world can and will meet my needs. It is a lie to say that God has always been there for me. I now realize that no matter what I do, the truth is he doesn't love me. How can I presume that God is good. You go, wow, that was encouraging. Let's pray. We'll go from here. Now, 
Perspective, though, perspective. Flip it upside down. Let's read it backwards together. Beginning from the end. It goes like this. God is good. How can I presume that he doesn't love me? The truth is, no matter what I do, I realize that God has always been there for me. It is a lie to say that this world can and will meet my needs. Without God, this world would fall into darkness. Christians declare that God answers prayers. We must realize that it is ignorant to think that man can save himself. I know now more than ever in my life that Christ is risen from the dead. Never again will I say that God has left me. I know with certainty that how can I believe that God will use my life? This world is a product of chance. This is the one truth in life. God is good. You can't force me to believe that God doesn't love me. And I love that. It's all perspective. Perspective changes everything. Look there in verses 15 through 18. He says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. So part of this letter is a correction, okay? It's a, it's, he's writing a letter of thanks, and then he's also addressing some problems that, you know, a couple of women we'll talk about, you know, later on that there's envy and strife, and there are people in prominent positions in the church. He says, and some also from goodwill. It says, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So what is Paul saying here? You read through all this. He's going, I try to remind you of this all the time. Don't sweat the small stuff. And just remember what? It's all small stuff. So what Paul basically is saying in these verses here, he's, he wants us to stop and think. And, and this is a good thing for each and every one of us today. You think about all the things you get caught up in and all the conversations that are really about nothing, that aren't edifying, they don't build you up, they don't build the other person up or anything else. And you think about all these things that go on in our life. Is what, If we could just stop ourselves for a second and go like this. This, if I'm going to summarize what Paul's saying here, he goes, is this going to make a difference a hundred years from now? That you stop. You think about the things that you're doing in your life. He goes, is this going to matter a hundred years from now? You think about the things that bug you today. He goes, is this going to matter a week from now? Is it going to matter a year from now? Is it going to matter five years from now? Is it going to matter 10 years from now? See, the key to our success in life is what? It's keeping Jesus the main thing. Would you agree? When, when Jesus is the main thing, then everything else falls into place. And that's really, like I said, it, it's such a, a great question for us to, to focus on. What matters most? And what mattered most to the Apostle Paul? He makes it perfectly clear. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his master passion. When your mind and your life goes into idol and it can go wherever it wants to go, where does it go? Does it go to God? Does it go to your hobby? Does it go to your interest? I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying if you want what the Apostle Paul had, which was joy, in the midst of all these circumstances and situations, you go, why did he have it? Because his master passion was the gospel. 
His master passion was Jesus Christ. And because his master passion was Jesus Christ, it wasn't movable. That's the difference. Most of us, our master passion, if we're really honest in this life, it's in something that's going to die. It's in something that's going to break. It's in something that's going to move away one day. And that's why our joy goes like this. And if you want your joy to grow, then you have to place your joy in something that is not going to move. It is not going to change. It is not going away. It will not die. It will not break. It will stand the test of time. There's only one thing. That's why it makes it so easy. It's God. Put your hope in God. That's why the psalmist could declare, those who put their hope in God will what? They will not be disappointed. Verse 19 goes on. It says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. There's prayer, the power of prayer again, and the supply of the, of the spirit of Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? He says, you know, I know. Paul's going, I, I know. He's not like, I guess, I hope, you know, in the sense of, I don't really know. You know, again, you might write this down. Your outlook is determined by your uplook. Your outlook is determined by your uplook. What is Paul doing now? He's looking out through this prison. He sees the bars. Does he see the stars? He sees the stars. It's perfectly clear as he goes along. He's going, I have the faith. And again, why is he confident? Because he's confident in the word of God. He's confident in the promise of God. Go to the book of Hebrews, read the hall of, of faith. It says they all died without receiving the promise, but they saw what? Afar off. They saw stars. They did not see bars. And that's the difference. If you want, you want to experience more joy in this life, you got to quit looking at the bars. You got to start seeing the stars. That word deliverance there, it's a common word in the New Testament. It's soterian. And it's really the word that's used for salvation here. And, and Paul's talking about salvation. But remember, salvation isn't just a past experience. It's not just a present experience. It's also a future experience as well. And so he's very confident that he's going to be delivered. He doesn't know how he's going to be delivered. He just is very confident that he is, whether it's going to be he's going to get freed from prison or he's going to be beheaded. You know, he's on death row at this point in his life. And he's going, I, I just know that it's all going to work out. I know that it's all going to work out according to what? To God's plan. And guess what? And everything is going to be fine. Why? Because my hope is in God. And if my hope is in God, no matter what happens in this life, everything is going to work out just fine. It's Paul's way here in the book of Philippians, writing what you and I love, what he's written in the book of Romans in chapter 8. We love this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he says, for we know that all things, what? Work together for good. You can read it with me. For those who, what? Who love God and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. That's, he's just echoing this, the same sentiment here. It's all going to work out. If your hope is in God, it's all going to work out. Now, do I know how it's going to work out? No. Do you know how it's going to work out? No. But we know that it's all going to work out. Why? Not because I say so or because you say so, because God promises so. A promise that what? Is not going to move, not going to be shaken. 
Verse 20 goes on, it says, And according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's looking forward now. Okay, and he's looking forward, he says, with earnest expectation, which literally means to watch something with an outstretched head. The only thing I can think of is watching my wife watch the Dodgers play baseball. Okay, we'll be at a game. She loves baseball. She loves the Dodgers. We'll be at a game. She's sitting in her seat, and you'll hear this, you know, of the bat. And what does she do? Her head and her neck grow. They go, they stretch out. And she's looking, is it going? Is it going? And then what do you do if it's gone? Then you really stretch out, right? You jump from your, your seat. And, and this is what Paul's saying. He's going, you know, my, I'm stretching out. I'm, my, I'm, I'm literally, my head is stretching out. I have what? I have an active hope. I have an active hope that all that God is doing is going to work out. And it's so true. And Paul wants what? More than anything else for his life to be an expression of his faith in God. What do you want for your life to be? That word magnified there. You know what that word magnified means? Raise your hand if you know what the word magnified means. It's a really difficult word. It means magnified means to what? To enlarge, right? To make bigger. Anybody ever look through a telescope? You ever turn a telescope upside down, look through it backwards, and everything you know that's close looks far away? That's probably what happens in a lot of our lives. God, where are you? And he's like, turn it around. Turn it around. But a telescope brings things into perspective, right? Now, you think, you know, a star, the closest star is something like four light years, you know, away or whatever that is. You know, it's like, I think, what do I have in my notes here? 500... Six trillion miles from the earth, okay? Six trillion miles from the earth. Closest star, somewhere around there. 5.88, I think is what, give or take a few. I don't know. But you think about that. And what, is, what does the telescope do? It magnifies, it brings it closer. So as we prepare for communion today, this is something to think about. Something really important here. Paul is saying, I want my life, because you think about how do we magnify Jesus? Well, think about this. How many years has Jesus been gone from this earth? Anybody have a guess? 33 AD, 2021, you do the math. Over 2,000 years, right? He's been gone from this earth. Have people forgot about him? Just like the stars. I mean, they're out there, but you don't really see them all the time until what? Somebody brings a telescope along, and they magnify it. Guess what? Like Daniel said, you know, those who, those who win souls, Daniel said, are like the stars of the heaven. They shine as bright as the firmament. You and I, we're the telescope. That's what Paul's saying. I want my life to be the telescope. And people are looking at you. They're looking at me, and they're going, when you go through, not when life is good, but when life's hard, where's Jesus? Is your joy like this? Or is it fixed? Because your hope is in him. It's not in this world. And nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can take Jesus away from you. That's what we celebrate today. Is that he's with you and that he's in you. He's going, and Paul's saying, I want you to think about that. What is your life magnifying today? Paul's saying, I want my life to magnify Jesus. 
because there's a lot of people out there that don't know anything about him because he's been gone for 2,000 years. He's here. He's still here. And if you have a telescope, you can see the stars. And if you have a Christian, you have a follower of Christ who's loving God, and he's the master passion of my life, then what I'm going to do is whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm not going to any longer go, God, why, why me? Why, why, why? I'm going to go, God, what is it that you want me to do? Who is it that you want me to talk to? I don't even have to ask, what do you want me to share? Because we know that. Share what? The gospel. Share Jesus. Where's Jesus in this? It's like life is a Where's Waldo book. I don't know. Hopefully that's still politically correct. But, you know, where's Waldo on the page? You know, it's like that's our whole goal in life is, you know, where's Jesus in all this that we're going through? Where's Jesus? And then making him known. Making Jesus famous, you might say. That's what it all comes down to. So that our life would end like this. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's going, I can't, I can't lose. They kill me. They cut my head off, which they did. To be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. If they let me live another day, guess what? That's another day to add another jewel in my crown. That's another day to make Jesus know. That's another day to snatch another one out of the fires of hell. That's another day to have victory. You know, I was talking with uh, John Border last week. John's brother, Kevin, uh, passed away. And John said, you know, they, that, you know, they had the privilege, you know, the last couple weeks of his life, when they're focused in on, you know, you know that you're going to die. It's not difficult to share Jesus. And people go, oh, you know, that was a deathbed confession. I go, those are the best kind. Think about it. If you were the devil and you had a guy for their whole life, it's kind of like a boxing match, right? In a sense, if you got pummeled by your opponent for 13 rounds and in the 13th round, you got in one good shot, one good shot, and you knocked him out, you'd still win, right? And they'd go, oh, but he got, you know, he got pummeled for the first, it doesn't matter. All that matters is what? How it ends. And to think, you know, right before that person dies, they go, you know what? Yeah, I haven't lived my life for the Lord, but you know what? I need Jesus and I need his forgiveness. And I thank God that he, he died for me. And yes, I receive him. God, if I could go back and do it over again, I would, but I can't. And that's the beauty of God's grace and his mercy is God can see our heart. He's going, I know you would. And therefore you're forgiven. Your sin is under the blood of, of Jesus Christ and snatched right out, snatched out of that fire. Man, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. That, that would be, if you could put that on your tombstone, headstone, whatever you want to call it, man, there's no greater words. So we're safe in him. Whether we live, whether we die, it's all about him. It's about knowing him and making him known. So now, as we go from here, we're going, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to stop asking why. I'm just going to go, what? What? What is it that you'd have for me? Who is it that you'd have me to talk to? You know, you know I, I'm not going to question any longer why you know, I'm going through what I'm going through. I know that you're with me. It's just, who do you want me to share with? I mean, it's always about somebody else. It's always about everything that Jesus did. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. See, the why makes it about me. The what makes it about you. And that's where you'll find your joy. When we get our eyes off ourselves and we get them on Jesus is when we'll experience the fullness of joy. Amen. Amen. We'll invite the worship team to come up. And as we close, uh, again, this is an open time of, of communion today.
can't think of a better way to go into this is just to love and celebrate Jesus, the goodness of him in your life. Taking that bread today and uh, taking it and thanking him. It was his body broken for you. Then take that cup. Remember that it was his blood shed on the cross of Calvary. As the scriptures tell us, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And guess what? He shed his blood so we could know that our sins are forgiven. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that when you leave this place today, you don't have to go alone. You are never alone. He is with you and he'll be with you and he will carry you all the way home, all the way into the very presence of God one day. And that's the good news of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of communion. And we pray, Lord, this morning, Lord, as we receive communion, that God, we would do it with joy today. Lord, we confess that, Lord, for many of us, we get so caught up in the circumstances of life and it robs us, not just of our happiness, but definitely our joy. And so, Lord, today, God, we want to surrender afresh to you, our lives, trusting you completely, that, God, you're in control, that you're sovereign, that you do everything for your glory and for our good. Not everything we go through is good, but everything works together for good. That's a promise that we have from you. And so, Lord, we rest in that, we trust in that, and that, Lord, we recognize in all of our lives, we have influence in the lives of other people. People are watching us and how we respond to you. Do we really believe what we say that we believe? Do we really trust in you? And so, Lord, we confess that we're weak. Thank you for the strength that we have in you today. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that, Lord, we have opportunities, Lord, especially in these Larry mentioned in worship that we're, we're one day closer than we first believed. We're a lot closer than they were in the days of Paul when they walked upon this earth. And so, Lord, help us to recognize the days in which we live, that the time is short. And if people haven't come to know Jesus yet, that we would share his life and his love, not to be ashamed of the gospel, but know that it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And I pray for every heart here today, that Lord, that these are believers that are here, believers that are listening online today. And may we enjoy this time with you as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.